0: Well good morning, it's good to see you this morning, I want to ask you to be praying um, three of the elders and one of our deacons, myself, Paul, Aaron, and Carrie will be in Cleveland, God's country, for the next couple days, I love Cleveland. Anyway, we'll be up there at a pastors we'll be up there at a pastors conference um, at Parkside Church starting tomorrow. And ask your prayers for us as we go. Uh, maybe we should be praying for Pastor Pastor Andy. Maybe this would be a good time to bring up all the little concerns you have with Pastor Andy this week while we're gone. Just load his email box. He would love that more than anything. <laughs> Or maybe don't do that, okay? But be praying for Pastor Andy this week as well. Um, he's, he, looked, he looked at us whenever we told him we were doing this like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? So um, we're looking forward to a, a good time of getting refreshed in the next few days and, and coming back with lots of things to share with you. So be praying for us. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. One of the hardest experiences of life. One of the absolute hardest experiences of life is something that every one of us has experienced, and that is the experience of paying the consequences for your sin. You agree with me on that? It's one of the hardest experiences of life is paying the consequences for your sin or having to reap the fruit of the choices that we make. You know, it's hard but it's often in those experiences that we learn some of life's most important lessons. Is that not true? Do do we not remember the the harsh realities of bearing the fruit of our consequences more than we remember just the simple lessons that someone taught us? We jokingly call it the school of hard knocks, or some of us, if if we're being uber spiritual, being taken to the Lord's woodshed. But, but honestly, it is a part of the process that an all-wise, all-knowing, and loving Heavenly Father uses to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, is that process of having to pay the price and pay the consequences for our sins. So we come to, J- to Genesis chapter 28, and when we get to verse 10, what we see here now is Jacob is in the very first few days of reaping the fruit of his choices, he, he, he's going to be in this process for a long time, 20 years, but he's in the first few days of, of reaping the fruit of his choices. He's, he's doing those things that you and I can relate to, like, why did I do that? How stupid am I? I wish I would have just done this. You ever been there? You ever been there? And, and, and here he is. He's had now to leave home. He's had to leave home, and I realize that he's a nomad, and and by his profession, he travels. But here's the thing. He's probably one of the better, well-off nomads of the area, when you think about it. His grandfather was loaded, was he not? Abraham had a lot of money, and on top of that, his father took that money, and his father only expanded that wealth, didn't he? And then... He lives, if you're going to be a nomad, why not be a nomad in Beersheba? It's an oasis, after all. Yeah, he lives in a tent, but it's a pretty nice tent. It's a tent with means. And so now, he's all alone. He's all alone when we come to Genesis chapter 28. No record of even a servant with him. He's all alone. He's left all that wealth. He's headed to Padan-Aram, and he's leaving the land of promise without his servants, without a, with any wealth. He doesn't even have a wife. He's just a man out there by himself. And I would submit to you, he's low, he's discouraged, he's, he's kicking himself for the choices he's made, and I would also submit to you that he is exactly right where God wants him to be. Right exactly where God needs him to be. He's in a place where God can absolutely just grab his attention and hold it. You ever been there? You ever been there so low that the only place you can look is to the Almighty himself and he has your attention completely? And, and, you, and you even say this almost, you, really, you may not say it out loud, but you're thinking it, okay, God, you've got my attention, I'm listening now. That's where he's been. And that's where he, we find him now. And so we turn to Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to read verses, verses 10 through 22 this morning. Please follow along with me in your Bible. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. This is not the Holiday Inn Express. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you... And your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome or how fearful is this place? There is none other than the, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will go with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray this morning. Oh God, what a, what a tragedy, what a waste it would be if we came here... And we sat under the word of God and we didn't leave affected by it. What a horrible waste of time. We'd have been better off to stay home and just stay in bed. We'd have been better off to go get brunch somewhere as opposed to showing up here and not being affected by the word of God this morning. You tell us that your word is profitable for teaching. And so Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. You tell us your word is profitable for being reproved. Holy Spirit, convict us of our sin, I pray. You tell us that your word is profitable for correcting us. Holy Spirit, do that work of correcting and restoring us this morning, we pray. You also tell us that your word is profitable for being trained in righteousness. Holy Spirit, please make us more like Jesus, because we've heard your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we first see this humbling departure. This humbling departure of Jacob. We see it there in verse 10 and 11. There's no fanfare. There's no going away party. In fact, he is just kind of pushed out and he, and he kind of quickly exits because he's in fear of his life. Remember, Esau has verbally stated, I will kill my brother as soon as dad dies. And so he, he just quietly leaves town and he gets out on his way and he heads out towards the place where he's headed to. And and there's so many questions, there's so many questions that he's dealing with at this time, thinking things like this, have you ever thought after you've been caught in your sin and, and you've prayed and you've confessed it and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, how unnecessary was all of this if I'd only had done the right thing? You ever been there? Here's where Jacob is at right now. Here's where Jacob is. He's out in the desert, and and he comes to a place, and and, and the Word tells us, if you look at verse 19, that he was near the city of Luz. He is so low right now that he doesn't even go into town to find a place to stay that night. He just stays out by himself, literally laying on the sand, using a rock for a pillow, (laughs) and he's thinking to himself, If I'd only been truthful, if I wouldn't have been so deceitful, I wouldn't be in the place that I am right now. All that blessing that God has given to me. And do you ever find yourself reading the Word of God and saying, okay, I know these are the promises of God, I know they're for me, but they seem so distant? You ever been there? Like, I know you've made these promises to me, God, but right now, they, they are just like a pipe dream. They are so far away. I don't really know if I can take you at your word. That's where Jacob is, because he's been blessed by Isaac just before he leaves. Isaac says to him, you're going to be the next patriarch. You're going to get all this wealth. But normally, when you get those promises, you get to stay there and enjoy the use of them, you get to learn how to lead the family, you get to experience all this and his experience is now that he is literally laying on the desert floor with a rock for his pillow. You think he had some questions? I know he had some questions. I know he had some questions. He had been given the promise by God and he took matters into his own hands and now this this promise of blessing is in great doubt in his mind. In fact, even worse is the fact that Esau is at home, and if anything happens to Jacob, guess who gets the blessing now? And he's got to be thinking to himself, "I never wanted to go camping, and here I am camping." And what's interesting to note is is that he is close to this city of Luz, and he doesn't stay there; he stays outside of town. He's away from his family which he's not been away from for 77 years. Think about this. You want to talk about the ultimate mama's boy? He's not been away from mom for 77 years. For 77 years, he's not had to worry about being taken care of. And now, now suddenly, he's on his own. He's got to take care of himself. He's got to get, navigate his way across the desert. He's away from the familiar. He's all discouraged. He's defeated. And he's filled with all kinds of doubts. And on top of that, traveling is no fun. I I don't enjoy traveling. I enjoy getting to the destination. I don't enjoy the journey. Journeys are tiring. They're long. Like, oh, you got to stop every now and then. No, then you don't get where you're going, right? He's exhausted. Traveling by camel or donkey, whatever he's traveling by is not comfortable travel. And so he's tired, he's got these doubts and these questions, and he takes a rock and he puts his head on the rock. (laughs) Yeah, here he is, the big patriarch Jacob, without a tent, sleeping under the stars with a rock. And as he falls to fitfully falls asleep, verse 12 tells us that he dreams a dream. Boy, what a dream. And in that dream, he sees a ladder or a stairway or some form of steps that reach from earth to heaven. The reason I say that is, is because this is the only time in the Hebrew this word is used in our scripture, and it can mean a lot of different things, okay? So let's understand. It could have been a rope ladder. It could have been some grand staircase. We don't know what it is. It's some means of getting from heaven to earth, though. And there are people, there are angels who are stepping on this, and they're going up and they're going down. A stairway loaded with angels that are coming and going, and and what they're doing is God is picturing for Jacob that God is very much involved in the affairs of this earth, friend. Whether or not you realize it, you're connected by a stairway to heaven. You are. You're connected by a stairway to heaven. And whether or not you see it, God is ministering to you right now with his messengers who are carrying out his directives, and they are coming down that stairway, and they are ministering to you, and as soon as they minister to you, they're done. They return back up to get more orders from Almighty God. And Jacob is seeing this. And stop and think. Not many people have seen angels. Not very many people have seen angels, I know there was the TV show, Touched by an Angel. Not very many people have seen angels, okay? Daniel saw an angel. Zechariah saw an angel. Mary saw an angel. Joseph talked with an angel. The shepherd saw an angel. The women at the tomb saw an angel. John saw an angel. But very few people, when you consider how many people have walked on God's green earth, have seen an angel. And he doesn't see just angels. An angel, he sees the gate of heaven opened up with a myriad of angels coming and going. I would dare say that no one has seen this side of heaven what Jacob has seen in terms of angels. And he understands now the close proximity of heaven to earth. He understands that, that, that God is directly involved with him through these ministering angels. But what's interesting is, is what he doesn't notice at first. He's arrested in verse 12 by this stairway, this ladder to heaven that's filled with angels. But what he doesn't notice, who he doesn't notice is pretty important, isn't it? Because in verse 13, look what it says, And behold, like, whoa, who's at the top of this ladder to heaven? It's almighty God himself. It's a theophany. It's it's Christ in the body there at the top of the ladder. And he's appearing to Jacob. And he sees that God is the one that's directing this activity. Friend, even when you're paying the consequences for your sin, if you are the child of God, he is still directly involved in your life. He is directly involved in your life. He is still ministering to you. He still has a plan for you. He's still directing those ministering spirits to you. He is at work for you, for your good and for his glory. And in Jacob's crisis of faith, would you agree with me that Jacob's got a crisis of faith now? In the midst of this crisis of faith, what does God do? God reveals himself to Jacob, and he's going to directly speak to Jacob. I find that very comforting. Because sometimes we have the wrong view of God, and the wrong view of God punishing our sins. Like, we view God the way Gary Larson of Farside views him. Like he's an angry old man in heaven just waiting to squish us like a bug whenever we step out of line and to make sure that his justice is upheld and make sure that we suffer for our sins. That's the view of God that we often have. And while God is a holy God and he is a just God and he will judge our sins, God is always doing it for his children for their good and for his glory. Yes, God is punishing him, but he's not leaving Jacob all alone. It's a comfort to know that God is near. It's a comfort to know that, but it's even more of a comfort to hear the voice of God speak to you. Now, I realize that we don't have the benefit that Jacob had. We have something, though, even more beneficial. We have the Word of God. And here's one of the things that I find to be true in my own life. Maybe you don't, maybe I'm the oddball in the room, but when I'm being disciplined by God, I have have a hunger to please Him, but what I really don't usually have is a hunger to get back into His Word. I'm still stinging from His his trip to the woodshed. You ever been there? And all the more we need to go to His Word whenever we're being corrected by God because it's there where he speaks to us. It's there where he he shows his love to us. It's there where he teaches us how we can be corrected and, and brought into reconciliation with him and how we can make things right. But I want you to note briefly in the last few moments that we have this morning as the morning is just slipping away from us, I want you to note how God directs his words to Jacob here. And how God reaffirms his promise, but in doing so, he deals with the utmost needs of Jacob's heart in the moment. And I find that to be very comforting to me. Do you ever just need to hear from God and just be reassured that he loves you? Do you ever just need to be reassured that he's for you? Do you ever just need to be reassured that he's got a good plan for you? Yeah. This is where Jacob is. We should know that this is the first of probably seven revelations that God is going to reveal himself to Jacob. He didn't even reveal himself, according to the record of Scripture, that many times to Abraham. Seven times to Jacob. And if you really want to think about it, of all three of the major patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was the guy who was probably the the most squirrely, the scoundrelish of them all? It's Jacob! And so in a way, it makes sense. He needed to hear from God more, didn't he? This is the first of seven. Look at what God has to say to him. He begins in verse 14, but I want to begin, he actually begins in verse 13. And I want to just begin in verse 15, because to me this is the biggest, the biggest lesson and the biggest reassurance that he gives them. In verse 15 he says this, I am with you. I am with you. Now, I took time this morning to painstakingly point out to you just how alone Jacob was, right? God wanted him to be alone so that he would really understand what it meant for God to be with him. Loneliness is a terrible thing, isn't it? Loneliness is a terrible thing. Sometimes I think the worst kind of loneliness is when you're surrounded by people and yet you feel so alone. You ever been there? It's no fun to be totally alone and by yourself and feel lonely, but here's Jacob, and he's all alone probably for the first time in his life, and what does God say to him? Hey, Jacob, I'm with you. I'm with you. Literally, God came right to where he was. God set up the ladder from heaven right where Jacob was, and he reminded him as he spoke to him out of heaven, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Friend, understand this, God is setting up his ladder wherever you are, and he is speaking to you through his word from heaven today, and he's saying to you, friend, I'm with you. I'm with you. Child, I'm with you. You're not totally alone. Maybe you feel alone, maybe you feel like no one else cares, maybe no one else really does care, maybe really no one else really understands, maybe no one notices you, but if you're God's child, you're never alone, never alone. And God clearly reveals this, not just in the imagery of the dream, but with his words, I am with you. I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. He, he gives this, these great marching orders, these really profound, big marching orders to his disciples. Go make disciples and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, he, and he reminds them of, of the power where it's coming from. And he says this, And lo, I'm what? I'm with you how long? Always. Even to the end of the age even to the end of the age, God is with us. Back up now to verse 13. He takes care of basic need there of knowing that he's not alone. But verse 13, he says this, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, literally, on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. The second thing that he says is this, Jacob you've been so used to having the comfort of possessions and now you don't have any. You don't have any possessions. You got the animal that you're riding on. You got the stuff that you could pack on that animal. You have very little from what, from what you used to have. You have nothing really tangible. And so, in fact, so much so that when he gets to Uncle Laban's house, he doesn't even have a gift to give to Uncle Laban, which would have been standard and customary during this time. You know all he has to give to Uncle Laban? Himself. And he basically says this, here I am, I'm another one of your workers. He can only offer himself. You want to talk about not having two pennies to rub together? That's where Jacob is right now. And yet God comes to him and reminds him and he says this, you are the inheritor of something really huge, man. You are going to be wealthy beyond belief. I am giving you all this land. God's keeping his word, not just to Jacob, but God's keeping his word that he gave to Abraham, that he affirmed to Isaac. And now, now finally, when God has Jacob's attention, God himself affirms the promise to Jacob. Jacob. Up until this point, God, Jacob hasn't heard this from God. He's heard it from his mother. Remember, she, she's the one who was told before he was born, they, hey, the two are going to fight within your womb and the younger is going to be over the older. The older will serve the younger. He's heard it from his mother. He's been pronounced a blessing by his father and now God is telling him, yeah, all these things are true. You are going to inherit the promise that I gave to Abraham and that I gave to Isaac. But mind you, Where does God have to put him to give him this promise? Alone on the desert floor. Keep moving forward. One of the things that strikes me about Jacob is, is that when he left, he left with no honor, did he? No honor. In fact, when they talked about Jacob after he left in the tents of his father Isaac, when they talked about him, when the servants talked about, about, talked about Jacob, how did they talk about Jacob? How would you have talked about Jacob if you were gossiping about him? Oh, like none of you gossip, right? If you were gossiping about, about Jacob, would you have not called him the deceiver, Would you not have called him, yeah, he's a rat fink, he stole the blessing, and he did all this stuff. He is the worst, right? No honor. Notice verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north and the south, and in you... You, Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the dishonest one, in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be what? Cursed. Blessed. All of a sudden, this dishonorable dude, God's promising to him that he will be honored. When you're a blessing to others, do people like you? Are you awake, church? When you're a blessing to others, do people like you? Do they talk well of you? They're not doing it right now, are they? And God is saying to him, yeah, you're pretty dishonorable right now, but here's the thing, Jacob, you're going to be a blessing. Yeah, you're a cheat. You're a usurper, but you are also going to be the carrier of the blessing to all the people of the earth. And, And it's going to be known that you, Jacob, were the one who was a blessing. Now, i got to ask you a question. If you know the rest of the story of Jacob, Did Jacob stop being a cheat in this moment? Did he stop being a usurper? No. So, was he worthy of being called being a blessing to all the earth? Was he he worthy of that title? No. Who made that possible? Almighty God did. Again, we're seeing this theme, folks. If you're not catching it, maybe you'll get it this week. Jacob's not faithful, like Isaac wasn't faithful, like Abraham wasn't faithful, but who is faithful? God is faithful. And God's going to keep his word, and and, and that gives me hope, and I hope that gives you hope. You haven't been faithful this week. Guess what? Neither have I, but our God has been faithful. We're not going to be completely faithful next week, but guess who's going to be faithful to us? Our God is. Even when you and I are not faithful, God is. And then he makes a final promise to him at the end of verse 15. Do you see it? I'm not going to leave you until I have done what I promised you. But before he says that, what's he say? I'm going to what? Jacob, there's going to be a reunion tour for you back here. You're coming back, Jacob. You're coming back. I am bringing you back to this place. Jacob probably doesn't even want to dream that dream at this point. Yet Almighty God tells him, you will be back. What grace, what kindness. God didn't have to tell him that part, did he? He didn't have to tell him that part, but he does. Why? Because he's faithful. Now, I want you to catch Jacob's reaction. In true Jacob action, he gets part of it right, and he really blunders part of his response here. He gets part of it right. The first part he gets right. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he's like, whoa, surely, surely, I mean, if you dreamt a dream where you saw angels coming out of heaven, and you saw the personification of God in the form of Jesus Christ standing at the top of the ladder, would you wake up going, yeah, this is the place where God dwells? You bet your life you would. He says, surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't even know it. How many times are we like that? Child of God, God is right here in this place, and half the time we live like we don't know it. Don't we? We live like we don't know it. Moses goes on to write about this, and it says in verse 17, he was afraid. Well, yeah, yeah, he was afraid. He had seen, he had seen the holiness of God. He had seen the perfection of God. He's afraid. And he says, how awesome or how fearful is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. This barren wilderness outside the city of Luz. This, this is heaven's gate right here. Here we are. Which leads to the right response, when you realize that God is that present in your life, when you realize that, that wherever you are is sacred ground because God is right there with you, it leads to this response in verses 18 and 19. Early in the morning, he takes the stone that he had been using for a pillow and he turns it up and he makes it a pillar and he anoints it with oil. What's, he, what's the significance here? Well. The significance of this is, is that this pillow that becomes a pillar is, is a demarcation of, man, something big has just happened here. Something big has just happened here. What's interesting is, is that early on in Abraham's life in chapter 12 and verse 8, I know you don't even remember back when we were in chapter 12, it's like, that's like way a long time ago. Chapter 12 and verse 8, Abraham had come to this place and he had built an altar here. I just wonder in my divine imagination if maybe Jacob didn't take a stone off the altar and use it for his pillow that night. And he turns that stone up, he pours oil on it to, to, to further indicate the significance of the moment and he says this, this place is set apart as Holy. This place is set apart as holy. It's where God showed himself to me. This is where God spoke to me. I don't ever want to forget this moment. He gets so much of this right, and then he whiffs. He's just like us. He's just like us. You ever been on the mountaintop with God, and only to come down and realize that you're going to whiff again? He's there. He's he's on this spiritual high, but then Jacob does what Jacob does. He starts making deals. Now, translators are divided on this because in verse 20, it says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will go with me. Some translators, and it's true in the Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, that word that we translate if can be also translated since, right? Right? So, if, if, he, if he's saying since, then, then he's not whiffing, but I tend to think that the, based on the way he talks here to God, that he's missed it here. And here's why. This is a bad vow he makes because it's all on him. He, the emphasis is on him. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Notice the pronouns there. If God will go with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat so that I come again, then the Lord will be my God. Who's the emphasis on there, church? Go back to the promise when God gives it to him. Who's the emphasis on when God gives the promise? Go back. Look at verse 13. I am the Lord your God. I will give to you and your offspring. I am with you. I, I, I. Who's the emphasis on when God gives the promise? It's on Almighty God, is it not? And who's the emphasis on whenever Jacob responds to this with his words? It's on himself. Jacob is doing something that you and I do. He's making a bargain with God. Now, we jokingly talk about this, but we, we find ourselves doing this. God, if you get me out of this jam, then I will do this. Come on, who's, who's brave enough to admit that you've done that? God, if you get me out of this, then I will do this. And then typically what happens is we do it for a while and then we forget, right? Jacob is saying this, God, if, if you do everything that you say you're going to do, And in his mind, i got to believe, Jacob's thinking short-term, like, maybe this is a one-year trip up to my uncle's house, and maybe I'll get lucky like my dad did, and I'll come back with a wife, right? So God, if you do this, when I come back, I will give you a tenth of everything. I will just praise you, and I will do all this. Jacob needs more grace, doesn't he? Jacob needs more grace. And you see, the thing is, God is going to be faithful to him, and he he will keep his word. But there are many more consequences that Jacob has to pay before he experiences that full grace, isn't there? There's more lessons to learn. There's more sanctification that needs to happen. In other words, Jacob is just like us. We're like Jacob. We're like Jacob. We got a lot more consequences to pay. We got a lot more lessons to learn. We need a lot more sanctification, do we not? We do. We do. But before we leave this passage completely, you have this picture of the stairway coming out of heaven. It would be so wrong of me if I didn't point you to where the New Testament hints back at this. Go with me to the book of John. Go with me to John chapter one. Because we have this quirky little encounter in the book of John, Jesus is calling his disciples to himself. And in verses 43 to 51, he's calling two of the lesser-known disciples, okay, guys that we don't know a whole lot about. He's calling Philip and Nathaniel. They're not in the inner circle, yet they're part of the 12. He's calling them, and, and, and of course, when he's calling them... They they always have to like you know whenever he's calling them they always have to give a little commentary they always have to say some stuff and that's what happens here let's just read it real quickly verse forty three the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee he found Philip and he said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter Peter Philip found Nathaniel and said to him we have found him of whom the Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So in other words, he's saying to him, hey, we have found the Messiah, Nathaniel. You would expect Nathaniel to be like what? No way. Cool, dude. No. Nathaniel said to him, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Kind of like, can anything good come out of Cincinnati? Right? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. In other words, you knew about that conversation? You saw it? You are the King of Israel. Now notice Jesus' answer. Notice Jesus' answer. And tell me he isn't using what happened with Jacob here. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you. When Jesus says truly, truly, that's a notice for us to take up and pay attention, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on a stairway to heaven, What does your Bible say? Who's the son of man, church? It's the title that Jesus took for himself, right? Does that give new meaning to what we saw with Jacob? Who is the means of God ministering to us? It's Christ himself. It's Christ himself. This just gives me chills. Jesus is the ladder. Without Jesus, there's no way to get to to God's dwelling, is there? Without Jesus, there's no way, and I know God's all powerful, but He's chosen. The only way that He's going to minister to us is through Jesus. So when we celebrate communion like we did this morning, when we celebrate that fellowship, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is the ladder. Is He your ladder? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, in the beginning of verse 6, tells us this: there's one God and one mediator between God and men. And who is it? It's the man Christ Jesus. It's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom. There's no doubt in my mind here that in John chapter 1 when Jesus is addressing Nathanael he has in his mind a story that Nathanael knew because all the old testament boys or all the Jewish boys and girls heard that old testament story about the ladder from heaven and how Jacob their their patriarch saw these angels going up and down and now Jesus is taking old testament teaching like he's so prone to do and he's bringing it alive for the people and he's saying this without me as the ladder there's no access to heaven Why is it so important that we have this tagline at our church pointing lives to Jesus Christ? Because apart from Christ, there's no access to heaven and God's glory. Apart from Jesus, there's no hope. Apart from Jesus, there's no ministering to us. God doesn't minister to us unless it comes through Jesus. And so, this morning, before we leave here, is he your ladder? Is he your way? That's why Jesus can say in John chapter 14, later on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't get to heaven unless you go up the ladder of Christ. You can't get there. You can't get there yourself. You can't do good enough. You can't make God love you more than he loves me because he loves me completely in Christ. And he loves you that way too. And so... What this account in Genesis reminds us of is this Jacob wasn't good enough to get that ladder open to heaven, was he? God chose to open the ladder for him, didn't he? God came and opened the ladder up for him, and he revealed to him all these angels going up and down, demonstrating that God is very much involved in our lives. I want that kind of God, don't you? I need that kind of God. And in Christ, we have that kind of God. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Father, your word is just amazing. And the imagery of your word is powerful. And this morning, Jesus, we've considered your sacrifice. We've considered your your broken body, your shed blood, and, and how that Earns our salvation for us in a way that we could not earn it. It, it. it earns us a place in heaven. You've guaranteed us an inheritance because of what you've done if we're in Christ. But it's not just a future thing we have. Because of you, Jesus, we have this open stairway to heaven that we can climb anytime through prayer that we can receive the good and the blessing and even the correction from our from our Heavenly Father through you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way. We thank you that you're not just a one-way street, but you're a two-way street. You're a two-way stairway for us because we desperately need it. May we leave here changed because of Jesus being our stairway, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.